Father, as we as we look over the span of our lives, through the ups and the downs, the good, the bad, through the things that have come to us on our own doing and the things who have come to us on the doing of others and or even no personal agency at all. We fully understand and appreciate, at least experientially, your goodness to us. Lord, it's, it's your goodness, it's combined with your kindness that leads us to repentance. You are amazing, God. And we stand before you in awe and praise. We give you the glory to your name. We pray that we might live lives worthy of that calling that you have placed upon us as ambassadors for Christ. Strengthen us today, we pray, as we listen to your word. May there be truths in it that will come to us at some point this week that will give us life and encouragement. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So I want to, today, I want to brag on my youngest daughter for a little bit. Uh, No real special occasion, just simply because I think she fits the text. Uh, From the time that she could speak, she could sing. Born with uh, perfect uh, pitch. Now, I know all of you out there are like, yeah, 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 parent talk. Uh, Well, other people as well. She earned a music scholarship at the University of Arkansas. She sang at Notre Dame. She sang in a singing group across Europe and the British Isles. She sung the national anthem at a lot of events uh, to include National uh, Basketball Association and NASCAR, and uh, in a word, uh, she's gifted. She's, she also has a natural grace when she moves across the stage. She's, she simply catches your eye. Uh, the singing giftedness she did not get from me, uh, but she does have it. Barb's a wonderful alto, but she, she just has a beautiful soprano Some 23 years ago, she entered a talent contest in high school, and she worked hard, she practiced hard, and she perfected a piece from the stage play Les Miserables. It was a beautiful song, if you've ever heard it. It's called On My Own, and she really was very diligent about it. However, as soon as she took the stage, almost within... Within a few seconds, the ungrateful crowd began to mercilessly boo and hiss and heckle. They wanted Madonna. They wanted Britney Spears or Fiona Apple, maybe. A few brave souls, including Barb and I, we tried to withstand the onslaught, but uh, we were drowned out. 
Melinda was heartbroken, of course. Um, But she never faltered. Her voice never wavered or failed. And after the show, through the tears, she had a decision to make. And it was a painful decision because she was performed, she was scheduled to perform uh, the following evening, the same, uh, same venue. And she decided that she would, that she must go ahead and sing. So we gathered our little army of supporters and went back into the lion's den. And I have no doubt, she was a teenager, getting up on that stage, she knew what was going to happen. It had to have been one of the most painful moments of her life. And again, About 30 seconds into the song, the boos and the jeers began. And our little group of folks, you know, we bravely cheered and tried to stem the tide. It was impossible. I was really distressed that people en masse could be so cruel. It it struck me in a way, I see it today, by the way, across our society, Whereas we've gone on social media platforms and we've become invisible, we can flame whoever we want. When we're in a crowd, we can do the same thing. Oh, it wasn't me, it was the crowd. It's very distressing. Yet, what happened to Melinda is happening to the church today. Almost every move the church makes is mixed mischaracterized, it's judged, it's condemned. Yet Melinda is a portrait of how the church can live in a world that does not care for it, does not want to hear what it has to say. It's a portrayal of how we can walk in a world where we are not welcome. Why do we want to make our home here? This is not our home. We are passing through. The Lord knew this. The Lord knew that we could not survive as a people without his grace or without his gifts. We learn in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and Romans 12 that every believer, everyone in here, who has named the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior, has been gifted by Jesus Christ for the work of ministry. Every single one. He also knew this, that the giftedness was not all that it would take, because no matter how gifted you are, without His grace, you can do nothing of eternal value. Turn with me to Ephesians. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11 in chapter 4. Obviously, uh, one would think that four verses would be an an easy span uh, to cover uh, in the time that I have. I assure you it is not. It's one of those things that's bursting uh, for more in the same way that our worship this morning uh, was. Rich territory. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, 
it says, when he ascended on high, he led a a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, uh, what does it mean but that he has also descended into the lower regions, uh, the earth? He who has descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's a lot of text there. I'll start with the quote from Psalm 68, 12. Verse 8 is a quote from Psalm 68, uh, verse 18. Uh, When Christ ascended, he did two things. First, he led captivity captive. And that's a reference taking of him, uh, his work in taking the Old Testament saints from paradise into heaven, into glory. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that when we uh, die now under the new covenant, uh, there is no paradise for us. We don't go to the place called paradise, we go to be in the very presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Second, he gave gifts to men. That is, he presented gifts to all uh, believers so that they might be effective ambassadors for God, equipped with both gift and grace to function in an unrighteous world that does not care to hear the tune that you want to sing. Now, this was a very common... When people read this, they completely understood what the Apostle Paul was talking about. Because when a conquering king or or general, some type of warrior leader, would return from battle, he would establish a parade for himself. And in in doing that, he would... And sometimes in the Roman... Uh, parades, it only went like uh, a mile and a half, but it would take three days to get from one end to the other because of all the festivities that they would have. But when they did that, they would bring with them spoils. And that included captives, but it also included gifts which they would uh, give uh, to the, the crowd. So everybody understood what this picture was. And because that person was the, the victor, he had the right to give those spoils to whomever he wanted to. And they were uh, elaborate uh, affairs. And so, in, in fact, this is the same context where we understand when Paul said that to some, the, uh, this, this message 
is the aroma of life. Like, so for us, the, the message of Jesus Christ is the aroma of life to us. It's life-giving. But to those who are perishing, it is the aroma of death. This is exactly the same forum where this notion came from, because when they would swing the incense, for some people that meant lands and properties and gold, and for other people it meant the gallows, or it meant prison. When Christ, through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, crushed the opposition, it demonstrated, even to the delusion of Satan and his hosts that they once and for all had been defeated. Now, that doesn't mean they have stopped fighting. That is not the case at all. But regardless, they were defeated at that moment. And as Christ, in using that king or general's return as a metaphor, When he came forth, he led the captives into heaven, but he also gave gifts to us. And he did that. It did not come through your mom and dad. These spiritual gifts, they did not. They are not genetically based. They're spiritually based. They didn't come through school or training. I love one little placard that a music Uh, teacher had above her uh, piano, which was practice makes talent. That is true to large degree, uh, but uh, not in this case. This is something that God has just simply given to you. Therefore, a failure to appreciate our gifts makes us clumsy on the world's stage. Because we're not operating in our spiritual capacity that God has given to us so that we might be moving gracefully. And uh, even if it's graceful and beautiful, uh, many will not accept. I mean, like the crowd at that talent show. But some will. By the way, did I mention that, that almost at the same time, because I guess that's when talent shows do their thing there at the same time. She uh, also did the same song for an Air Force-wide teen talent show, and, uh, and she won first place in that, in her category. So there are some who will listen. There are some who will appreciate. But we would be in error if we only saw God's grace in place when when she won and was recognized. No. God's grace was in both places. God's grace is present in the darkest moments of our lives. And also in the, the highest moments. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Another implication of being gifted, which you are, is that we need to exercise our gift. Um, Not only do we need to exercise it, uh, we need to have others do that as as well. Otherwise, we're going to spiritually atrophy. I, and and this this is very striking when you look at it from a strategic 
perspective, but yeah, I'll, I'll stick with uh, kind of the tactical right now. Uh, I have had three surgeries on my left knee. Some of you can painfully uh, uh, appreciate that. And the one thing that I discovered is how fat, how how fast muscle goes away. You can go to the gym and you can drink all your shakes and you can do all this and you can do all that and whoo I got a quarter of an inch in six months. Yay. You'll lose three inches in a month. It's just amazing how quickly muscle atrophies when it is not used. And that's exactly the same way for us when our spiritual gift is not used. But understand this, it's not simply your muscle that atrophies, it's the muscle that propels the chapel, the church, the local expression, as well as the universal expression of the body of Christ. It loses its vitality because... Not everyone is exercising their gift. You may think that's an overstatement. It's not. I will look at a verse here in just a moment that says exactly that. But in order for us to have a church that is in health, we have to exercise our gift. And to fail to exercise that leads to spiritual uh, atrophy. Verse 11 tells us a little bit more about this in in giving the purpose and the reason uh, for being gifted. Uh, It's therefore the equipping of the body. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers or shepherds and teachers, whatever version you're looking at, for the equipping for. So this is like a miniature version of therefore. This is This is the reason why he gave these things. He did not give these gifts so that somebody could look in the mirror or have a certificate on the wall or be appreciated because they were an apostle or a prophet. He does not give. In fact, that is true of all the gifts. Whatever gift you have, it is not for you. It's not. It's not for you. It's for the body of Christ, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ. So God gave us a, uh, a whole variety of gifted leaders specifically for the purpose of building up the body, equipping the saints for the work of service. Notice that God did not give these gifted leaders the command to do all the work. You want to talk about a fallacy that crept into the church pretty soon after it started and stayed uh, with most of the church and, in fact, still is with most of the church. Where what happens is, is we come to church and we watch a performance whether it's a musical performance or whether it's preaching or whether it's uh, whatever it might be. There's all sorts of things that are done. But then you leave and that you've done your part. That is not church. That might be coming to a 
you know, an hour or two hours or, or maybe even three hours of where you're gathering with other believers, but that's not the function of the church. We're all participant in this. And the work here is, it says, I mean, let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say for these gifted leaders to do all the work. It's not what it says. It says that their job, the command, is actually for them to equip others to do the work. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that they don't, they don't do the work. Each one of us has the same command upon our own uh, ministry or what God has gifted us to do. But that's not exclusively the work of the elders or the deacons or the ministry leaders. Their job is to raise up others into the ministry and equip them for the work. I mean, God has gifted us, but you'll remember the Apostle Paul had to tell Timothy, stir it up. You've got to stir up the gift that's within you. Why? Because if you don't use it, it's not that you lose it, but you just, I guess at an outcome, practical level, maybe you do. Because it's not doing anyone any good. I, th- I think maybe a good analogy for this, for elders, deacons, ministry leaders, and that uh, is more along the lines of player coaches. You do play the game. I mean, you, you, but, but that's not your purpose. Your, your, your purpose is to prepare the team to play, the, to get out there and, and to do uh, the work. And I think that's a good picture of what the Bible's presenting here. Uh, all of us have responsibility. But for the leaders, the responsibility, the greater responsibility is a thing called generativity i.e., pass it on. Bring somebody out. Work yourself out of a job. And why do we do this? Why? There's another reason that's given here. We do this so that we might grow into the stature of Christ. We're to do this, work together, until, as the Scripture says, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. In these verses, what we see is that not only is there a unity of the faith, but that as we grow into the stature of Jesus Christ, we will have the unity of the faith until we all attain the unity of the faith. Now, there's a measure of that, of course, that's in glory. I mean, as long as we're here, we will be beset by all manner of things, to including our own selves. We get in our own way. But there are certain things that the body of Christ must be united around. There are essential doctrines. We can't just believe anything, not and be a part of what would be considered the Orthodox Church. It obviously does not mean that we agree on everything. 
That's never going to happen, nor, guess what, should it? If the goal is uniformity, in my opinion, that is the wrong goal to have. You may have uniformity, as I mentioned before, with Samson and a couple of foxes. Uh, You may have unity in the sense that they're tied together, but you don't have unity in the sense that they're of the same mind. Uh, there are things that are essential. Paul mentioned some of those in verses 4 through 6. One body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We must be united on these things. And these are among the things. There are some more. My point today is not to bring those necessarily out each one but there are things that we must believe that he is (laughs) we must not be deceived by false teachers who say that he's not there's this ugly theology in my opinion that's going around today running through churches like wildfire that God evolves that God thinks back and says, oh, uh, I should have done it a different way. That's nonsense. A God who has to question himself is not the God of the Bible. Some other thing, but not that. We're united around God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. These are some things that we must Hold to. Paul said in verse 14, we do this for a reason. Paul's logic is always just very, it's very tight. So now we come to another. Here's the reason for that. It's so that we're no longer children tossed to and fro here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the tricky, the trickery of men and craftiness and deceitful scheming. Paul uh, warned, and in fact, all of the uh, apostles warned that in the early church and throughout, they're going to be deceivers. They're going to be people who don't believe this. They're going to be people who take away from the blood of Jesus Christ, and they're going to put something of you in it instead. You got to make up the difference somehow. The delta that's between the blood of Christ and salvation is you. That, my friend, is heresy. The only thing that can make that difference up is the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are given that. This is a different kind of gift, but it's still the gift of salvation that we've received. And he warned us as we near the end, it's going to get even worse. John says in uh, 1 John 4, many false prophets have gone into the world. And so we have to be discerning because there are many deceivers uh, out there. Another thing is we're growing into this uh, Christ-like maturity, which is our number one uh, goal in that sense. I think honoring, glorifying God is, is, is overall. But in terms of what we are taking a part in, it's a growing into Christ-like maturity is that we're going to grow into the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. But what does that mean? 
I mean, he, he measures, he defines maturity as the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I can't comprehend that, but there are some things about that that I can comprehend. Like one, he says, speaking the truth in love. Now, this is a key sign for Christ's not likeness. But in my experience, that key sign, speaking the truth in love, is also the easiest to whack out of balance. And I'll tell you why. Because some people want to speak the truth in love. I'm going to speak the truth in love, and I don't care where the chips fall, because the truth is the truth. Deal with it. That's wrong, my friends. That's, that's not right. Nor is it right to be so loving that you look over everything. Like, no, no, that's, that's okay. It's all right. Don't worry about it. No, there's a balance that has to be maintained, speaking the truth in love. Christ is the perfect example, of course, with this. He did this all the time. Think of the Samaritan woman. I mean, he obviously demonstrated love to this woman. The disciples wouldn't even talk to her. But there Jesus was in a conversation with her. But nevertheless, he said, you've had three husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. He spoke the truth, but listen, he did it in love. She knew that he cared about her. And when we fail, we generally fail one one way uh, or the other. The hard truth, you know, just blasting somebody with that is, is, is wrong. Hitting over the head doesn't work. Loving without truth doesn't work either. I would say this, though. Uh, Howard Hendricks uh, was, uh, would often say in class, you cannot discipline a child that you do not play with. The notion there being that if you discipline without love, you discipline without play, what you'll engender, engender is anger and bitterness. And that's what happens if you blast somebody with the truth and show no love, all they will become is angry. They will not listen to you. They will resent you. We need to do this uh, with, a, uh, with a balance. So one, one last thing I want to mention here before we end is this, is that this whole body, verse 16, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes growth of the body. You know how the body grows? It's for three times it's said in this in this text. I'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna tease each one of those out for you, but it says this each part. The body will not grow unless each member, each part is exercising the gift that they have been given. Every joint, the whole, the entirety, every joint. If you, <laughs> A few days back, in fact, right now, uh, anyway, I woke up and my back hurt. I don't know why. It just hurt. I didn't pick anything up. It didn't do anything. I think it's just, <laughs> it just is, right? So the older we get, the more we realize that if one little part of your body is out of sync, you know, you get a broken toe or, you know, you, you know a tooth or whatever, it, whatever, it back, whatever it might be, everything else, it's difficult to focus on. It's difficult to be present when there is this pain. And what that does is it keeps the whole body from functioning well. 
understand that that's what happens when you, no matter how young, no matter how inadequate you feel your gift is, when you do not operate in your gift, there's some point and place in the body that is hurting. So in conclusion, three questions, four questions, really. Are you a part of the body of Christ? I mean, that's the real question. You need to repent. Turn to Jesus Christ as your Savior. But second, are you a part of a church family? Some people, you know, they go to this church and then they go to that church and the other church. And they need to settle. Find one. Third, are you using your gift? I trust that you are. But finally, are you encouraging others to use their gift? Because when we function in the grace and giftedness of God, we move effectively and efficiently and gracefully across this world as the body of Christ that has very little room for us. But for whom the people that we move toward, if they will turn to him, the whole of heaven awaits because of the one who loved us, all of us, and gave his life for us. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace that you gifted us. We pray that we would take a moment to look into our hearts and look into our minds and say, how is it that you have gifted me? In what way might I serve? How might that look for the glory of God? And if we can do that for just a few moments this week, then we will have advanced your cause on this earth. We thank you, we praise you through Jesus Christ. Amen.